You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Episode 145 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Vampirates. Formed in 2003, Vampirates are a lightning fast hardcore punk band from Reno, Nevada. They have been described as Zappa violence, with influences ranging from RKL and NoFX to Stravinsky, Coltrane, and Dillinger Escape Plan. They made national news on their 2014 international tour after being mistaken for terrorists while in Florida. Now after 18 years and 698 shows, they are busy writing a new record to be released in late 2021 on Voted Best Records. For more information on Vampirates, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms as well as vampirates.org. Now here it is, their new single, New D. Hey there, I'm Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hey, this is Lee from Gallows, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, and I am your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry, and we have a stellar conversation. 
I hope you are all doing well out there and staying safe and healthy. I especially want to uh, send a shout out to all my TOT fam in Texas. I'm sending good thoughts and vibes your way. Texas was always a really great stop on tour. We had some just amazing shows in Austin, San Antonio, Houston. Just the whole state was always great. El Paso was always really good for us. So uh, I want to give a shout out to all my Texan listeners, which I know there are a lot of you out there. Uh, so hit me up and let me know how you're doing after the big storm. I've seen some crazy stuff on TV about like $16,000 power bills. So uh, I'm pulling for all of my Texans and I hope you guys are doing well and I'd love to hear from you. So let me know how you're doing down there in good old Tejas. Okay, so today on the program, it's a good one. They're always good. I think they're great. They're all great. This Today is a special, special episode. Uh, I got to chat with my buddy, Mr. Lee Barrett from the amazing band Gallows. Lee and I met back on the 2009 Vans Warp Tour, and uh, we became really good friends during that summer, and I became a massive Gallows fan. We cover the history of the band, uh, signing a huge record deal with Warner Brothers. At the time, I think it was one of the biggest deals ever for a British band uh, on Warner Brothers. Uh, We talk about the Metallica connection. You know, if Metallica's connected, I'm going to talk about it. If you guys listen to the show, you know that. We talk about the lineup changes, being addicted to meeting famous actors and actresses, and all kinds of other cool topics. Lee was such a great dude. Uh, He's awesome. And it was so great to catch up with my old friend. And I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. So before I get to my conversation with Lee, I need to pay some bills like I always do. Special thanks goes out to the band that sponsored today's episode, Vampirates. You can check them out on vampirates.org. They're on all the socials and everything as well. All the links are on their website, vampirates.org. Partscaster Concierge, my buddy Gary, he builds guitars. He built me a guitar. He needs to build you a guitar. So check it out, partscasterconcierge.com. Do you like art? Do you like music? There's no one that combines the two together better than Spam Records. Not Spam, Spam. S-B-A-M dot rocks. They have a record label, which you're going to hear a little bit more about later on my news segment. Uh, They also have art that you can buy. They do art for no effects. They do art for Blink-182. They do art for probably every band that you love. So check out sbam.rocks. You will not be sorry. Up next, Permanence Tattoo Gallery on Meridian Street in downtown Anderson, Indiana. You can check them out on the socials at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. It's the only place that I get tattooed. So if you're in the area, you need to get hooked up at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Tell them that I sent you. Maybe they'll give you a good deal. Who knows? Last but not least on the sponsor train, we have BetterHelp.com. Have you guys heard of BetterHelp.com? If you listen to this web, this podcast, not website, you've heard. BetterHelp is really, really cool. If you need to get your mental health in check, online remote counseling is a very good option. It's Most of the time, it's cheaper than like traditional in-person counseling and therapy. And you can do it from the comfort of your own couch. You can, it's, it's, you can't beat it. If you guys have stress or anxiety 
or anything that's messing with your mental mojo, you got to go to betterhelp.com. But not even just that website. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T and you're going to get 10% off your first month. So check it out. Betterhelp, that is H-E-L-P.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T. Okay, if you have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode, hit me up, T-O-T-O-T podcast at gmail.com or on all of the socials at T-O-T-O-T podcast. We have a Patreon. It's it's slowed down as of late, uh, but if you guys are interested in getting in on that level, you can check it out, patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. If you would like to make a one-time donation to help out your favorite podcast host, you can check out my private personal Venmo that I'm going to give out right now. Uh, it's at Christopher Swinney, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. The easiest and most cost-effective way to support the show is to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. Make sure to follow us on all the socials at TOTOT Podcast. Uh, we also recently set up a Discord server, which is really cool. More, more and more people are signing up, joining every day. It's totally free, totally awesome. There is a link on our website, TOTOTpodcast.com, so check it out. I would like to give a shout out to our art director, Sarah, at Road Dog Supply. Make sure to follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Road Dog Supply. Uh, we cooked up a new little contest over at Road Dog Supply where you can create your own TOTOT t-shirt. And uh, if you win the contest, you get the t-shirt created. We send it to you. And then you get all kinds of other goodies as well. So check that out. You can get all that information, like I said, on our website, TOTOTpodcast.com or Sarah's company, RoadDogSupply.com. So there's no big segment today. Um, I do have some news. My new band, Fire Sale, has signed with Spam Records. Uh, that's what I was talking about earlier. They're a sponsor of the podcast, but uh, we've also signed with them. Spam Records, that is S-B-A-M. We're going to be releasing a two-song, seven-inch in the near future. Uh, that's going to be our first release, just to kind of introduce the band to the world. Uh, the first single will drop on all the streaming platforms very soon. I'd say within a month or so, maybe longer, who knows. Uh, Fire Sale features myself, Matt Riddle from No Use for a Name and Face to Face on bass, Tim MacMiller from Protest the Hero on guitar and vocal, not guitar and vocals, guitar and piano. <laughs> he might do some vocals at some point. Uh, Pedro Aida from Anberetta Fun Size and Shot Clock on vocals, and my buddy Will Ferguson from the band Dive on drums. And the coolest part of this whole thing, our music, all the new music is being produced, mixed, and mastered by my buddy, Grammy Award winner, Brian Churlo. And Brian's worked with uh, with Paramore, Amy Winehouse, Skrillex, and yes, the Biebs himself, Mr. Justin Bieber. <laughs> so uh, for more information on like pre-order and everything else, just make sure to follow us on the socials at Fire Sale is a band. You're going to hear the first single here before you hear it anywhere else. I don't know when that's going to be. We got our master back today of the first single. So it's going to be soon. 
I, I have to make sure that it, it kind of corresponds with everything. But uh, very, very soon on this program, you will be hearing the brand new Fire Sale single. Before you can stream it, before you can do anything else, you'll hear it here. So thank you guys for all the support. Everybody out there has been very, very gracious, you know, telling me they're stoked about it and whatever because no one's heard any music yet, just little snippets from the Instagram and whatever when we're recording. But uh, we could not be more excited about this band and we could not be more excited working with a label like Spam Records. And I think it's going to be really cool. And I hope you guys enjoy it. We've been busting our ass on this stuff. So uh, I just want to say to my bandmates, Tim, Matt, Pedro, Will, and our producer, Brian, I love you guys. You guys have, you know, come together with me to write these songs and it's kind of a dream come true. So uh, yeah, I'm not going to be mushy anymore. Just uh, stay tuned for more fire sale stuff. It's, it's going to be pretty cool. Okay. So that is it for the intro guys and gals. It is now time for my conversation with my very good friend, Mr. Lee Barrett of Gallows. Here we go. And I'm on the line with, uh, I'll say good buddy. It's been over a decade since I've hung out with you, but uh, Lee from Gallows, what's going on, man? Not much at all right now. I mean, we are good buddies, but there's a big ocean between us. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of, you know, makes it hard to see each other often. So I'm glad to be on the show, though. I'm glad to be on the show. It's cool. Thanks for having me. I'll tell you, when I started this podcast back in 2018, you were on my short list of, of guests that I wanted to have on. And I think we talked about it a couple of times, and then it just kind of got pushed away. And then finally this year, I was like, man, I want to have Lee on. I've been a huge fan of what you've done, you know, in your career, your bands, and and I'm just really, really excited to have you on the show today. So thank you for agreeing to do it. I appreciate that. No, you're welcome. I'm I'm glad to be here. <laughs> it's, it's nice to be able to talk to someone during lockdown, other than my girlfriend. So <laughs> yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about that. I've been kind of starting some of these episodes off the same way. We're in these weird, strange times of you know COVID nineteen. Uh, I'm in the United States where historically we have not handled it very well. Um, you guys are back on lockdown. We are not on lockdown. How has everything affected you? And was it kind of a bummer to go back into lockdown? Um, yeah, this time we're actually on like our third lockdown, I guess. Now we had the, the main one, which was, I guess, from like March through to around July. And that was kind of cool because I was living at home. My girlfriend was living there as well. It was summer, so you could just sit in the garden and kind of just chill and relax. Then we went into a, like a smaller lockdown, I guess, towards uh, Christmas. And, you know, then the dark, cold nights kind of set in and it gets a bit miserable. And now we're in a, the third lockdown, which is kind of similar to the first one where you can't really go out at all other than to exercise for, you know, like, half an hour or if you if you can go, get to work then you can go to work but you're technically not really meant to if you can work from home and it's I think this time has been the hardest because um my parents have moved away now as well so like at least before I could kind of hang out with them and now it's just myself and my girlfriend in our new flat together and uh you know it's it's a little bit like groundhog day and i and she's not at work either currently so it's it's kind of weird like we're just 
living on top of each other and we hadn't been used to that up until like the last few weeks so it's um <laughs> it's, it's, it, i like it but it's also a little bit like groundhog day I tell you, man, when when all this stuff started, I was like, oh, I'm going to have so much time to get things done and I'll do all these podcasts and write all this music. And I did a little bit of that, but a lot of my time was spent binging like Netflix. <laughs> no, it's it's totally like I was the same as the first lockdown came along. I was like, oh, I've got so many like books to read. I've got so many shows to watch. And in the end, like I just kind of didn't get as much done as I wanted to but now I'm actually I'm working still which I'm I'm grateful for because a lot of people have lost their jobs here you know and I'm just happy to kind of still have some money coming in to pay the bills but um yeah being back at work has sort of uh, stopped the um the Netflix binge in a little bit recently. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that. We'll bounce around quite a bit, you know, music and life and whatnot. But so what do you do for a living other than play music? Cause I know you guys have kind of been on hiatus for a while, which we'll discuss, but what do you do for the day job, man? Um, the day job is I am an administrator for a like financial intermediaries business. So I just sit at a computer. I make phone calls to, lawyers and uh, mortgage lenders and I kind of do applications for people's mortgages it's very um office nine to five stuff but like I said it pays the bills and uh my boss is super cool like he's he's cool when it comes to me taking time off to do band stuff and which unfortunately isn't happening very often right now but there you go I'm I'm, I'm quite fortunate that yeah my boss is is super cool when it comes to stuff like that so I wanted to get into uh, kind of how I met you because a lot of a lot of people that uh, that know me that I played music with, they they saw like, oh, you're gonna have Lee on there. How do you know the guys in Gallows? And I was like, well, we did the 2009 Vans Warp tour together, mm -hmm. and it was very nice to get to know you guys. Frank gave my drummer a tattoo. Lags played with us on stage when we did San Dimas. I mean, I feel like we kind of got to know you guys and I watched you guys a set every day, even when, you know, back in the day when Frank was with you guys and he'd be out in the crowd going crazy with everybody. And you guys kind of blew me away was, uh, I mean, how did you feel about your warp tour experience? I know you guys had done some other dates on other years, but you know, for me playing almost every stage, being in a bunch of bands, being on a bus, being in a van, not sleeping, but then also the luxury of when you're on a bus, like what was your experience? Because I look back on all of my memories of warped with a great fondness. How, how was it for you? Um, yeah, I, I have to agree. Um, we were quite fortunate really, because we, we did the tour twice. We did 2007 and 2009, both times we had a bus. Um, you know, our management had said, some of our bands have done warp tour in a van and at the end of it they're no longer a band so we would we kind of wanted that extra comfort of having the bus knowing that the drives were going to be long and like none of us really wanted to drive in the states either i think at the time um but the, i think the warp tour in itself is it's what you make of it because i know some guys who've done it and they absolutely hate it you know they they don't like the hot weather it's it's sitting around all day and then you wait for your your time slot to play and it's kind of it gets a little bit again like like groundhog day really every day is the same just in a different parking lot but if you want to go there and have fun you will have the best time of your life because 
you just end up meeting a bunch of cool people. You know, you're playing to different crowds every day. You know, America is like playing in kind of like 10, 15 different countries because there's so many different types of people in America. So um, for me, it was it was a really fun experience. I kind of wish I could go back and do it all again. Like now I'm older. I think back then I was probably quite shy. And, you know, I didn't talk to as many people as I'd have liked to have done because there were bands who I really looked up to. I was just kind of like, like, I really like your band, but I don't want to talk to you. And um, I think now that would be different. I would like to sort of socialize a bit more after the, you know, after the shows. You know, like, you, you know about the Warped Tour barbecues, and, oh, yeah. and legendary after show every night. So, yeah, I, I kind of like to do that, but it, it was, they were both fun tours. And I think 2009 just kind of edged it because it was off the back of Great Britain yeah, um, coming yeah. out. And uh, we, we had such a great response in the States from now. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, actually, let's go back a little bit further. We'll get to that. You guys formed the band in 2005. What I mean, for me, looking back and kind of researching a little bit to how you guys got together and how things formed, it seems pretty quick. You guys got together in 2005, and then in 2006, you released Orchestra of Wolves, which was my first experience with the band. I, I remember hearing you guys on the Guitar Hero game. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, wow, this is like, this is my kind of music. Cause normally on those games, it's all classic rock and metal or whatever. And then I heard you guys and it kind of blew me away. So getting together in 2005 and then putting out a record of that magnitude a year later, like what was it like when you guys got together and, and did it just gel right away? Is that why it happened so quickly? I, I guess it was a kind of, mixture of a lot of different things that you know when we first got together none of us really had any idea what was going to happen with the band we all just said we just want to play music that's gonna piss people off but make us happy yeah. and for some reason a lot of people felt the same way um you know the first few rehearsals i remember thinking like i, I don't even know what type of music we're playing like i was just sort of winging it the whole time i was just trying to keep up with the tracks and um but then like after a little while we we had enough songs for the first album and again like i think we recorded it for something crazy like 500 quid <laughs> and i and um again like it, I, i'd recorded before but it was it was just sort of like a throwaway experience for me recording that first album although we was in a nice studio and stuff none of us ever thought that doing that first album would get us to where we were. We knew there was a little bit of buzz about the band through the demo, but nothing of the magnitude that followed in the next couple of years after the album was released. What was the process like for hooking up with Epitaph? Because like on the internet, it says that, you know, Brett heard you guys and, and he loved it. And like, was that just kind of how it went? Like you guys had a buzz going with the record in the UK, probably in Europe as well. And then Brett heard it. Like, how did that relationship form? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was all it was. It was kind of like a word of mouthing. Um, there was a ton of buzz around the band um, after the album was released independently. And then obviously we were kind of picked up by, Warner Brothers in the UK but yeah Brett got involved um and honestly I'm not really sure how he heard the band I think it may have been again like kind of through management but there was also a ton of people like 
at the time who I remember coming out to see us who I was again like I was like I cannot believe like Chino from Deftones is at this show or like you know or like Frank from My Chemical Romance leaves us a note at like a festival saying how much he loves the debut album we're like but how, how have you even heard it you know yeah so I think for us everything back then was well especially for me was just such a crazy whirlwind experience like every day it seemed like something mental was happening that you would never have dreamed would have happened to you when the band started yeah so it was again like i kind of wish i could just go back and sort of relive it all and take it in rather (laughs) than because you like you're every day you're just being told you've got to be here you've got to be here you've got to be there you got to keep the machine running right yeah like like exactly yeah yeah and if one cog breaks down because they're thinking about what's actually happening to them then like that's it the machine stops running so well, let, I, I want to skip around a little bit, so we'll get back to that. But one thing that you were just bringing up is, you know, people coming out to the shows and and people that maybe you respect and really like that all of a sudden they're a fan of your band and it's freaking you out. I remember seeing a picture a while back of Metallica and Mr. <laughs> Jimmy James Hetfield is wearing a Gallows t-shirt. And I got to say, I think you posted something or maybe Lags did on Facebook. I can't remember. But even me being as far removed and not seeing you guys for over a decade, it made me like all warm and fuzzy because someone that I love like James is into you guys. How did you guys have any idea of how that happened? Have you hung out with those guys? Take me through that story. Um, We have actually hung out before. Um, So we played Soundwave in, I think it was 2012, 2013. I can't remember which year, but Metallica were headlining. And it's kind of like the duty of the headliners in a way to, they do like an, an open night for the festival where they kind of, again, like they host a barbecue, they have all the bands arrive and the headline band kind of goes around and introduces themselves to all the bands playing. And I, I mean, I don't know how many bands Metallica introduced themselves to, but James Hetfield actually came up to us. Like, we're all just kind of standing there going, what the fuck's going on? Like, James <laughs> Hetfield's talking to us all. And, you know, like, you know, like he, he knows the band and he's talking to us. It's very, it's all small talk. But at the end of it, you're like, whoa, like that just happened. Yeah. And then even even bigger than that was we did a, an off show in um, Perth on the same tour like a little club show, 200 people maybe. And we were told before by our tour manager that Lars was going to come to the show. And we were like, ah, yeah, whatever. You know, he ain't going to come. He's, I'm sure he's got much better things to do. And about 20 seconds after we went on stage, there was like a little bit of a commotion behind me because like the stage door was literally behind my kit. <laughs> I look round and fucking Lars Ulrich is standing there. And I'm like, holy shit, like... I'm sort of stuck between being completely gobsmacked and trying to like keep my shit together, but also <laughs> wanting to like go mental because yeah. like, you know, like I, I really wanted to see that like Gallows is like a proper crazy live band and it was worth his while coming to see us. And I, I you know, he liked it. We hung out with our, with him after and he's a super cool dude. Like I know Lars gets a lot of shit, but I think he's a, he's a really good dude. Well, I mean, we, I just had Chris Daly on from Pulley and Authority Zero and we got to talking about Lars and I I like how he put it. He's like, you know, he's not probably my favorite drummer, 
but he is the godfather of thrash metal. Like there would not be some of the bands without Lars. So yeah, I give Lars props, man. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think it's gone beyond like talking about his drumming ability now because I think even he's admitted he doesn't practice. Yeah. He doesn't need to. He just plays a beat that fits the song. But like as you as you said, like he is he's like a like yeah, like a godfather of kind of a, a, a genre of music and how many bands have been influenced by Metallica and Lars is probably 50% of that band, you know, like obviously him and James wrote most of the songs. So there you go. Like <laughs> you've got to look up to the guy, even if you don't like him. <laughs> I, I think every drummer that crashes on the two likes Lars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it always crashes on the two, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And plays like a ridiculous snare fill that goes into the next bar or, <laughs> and it uses a China as a ride symbol. And like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, we'll stop talking about Metallica. I always try to sneak them into interviews because they're they're one of my main influences growing up. But yeah, I just remember seeing that. And the cool thing is, like, I'm friends with some of the guys in Baroness, and and there's so many bands that I know that Metallica has kind of championed over the years. I just I love the fact that the biggest band in the world who don't have to do that, they find kind of smaller bands that they like, and then they they sort of help them out, like. Did you guys notice any kind of when he wore that shirt? I know it was just a picture, but like, did you notice more people checking the band out, or do you think that there's a correlation between that? Um, I would say I'd like to think there was a few more people checking us out, but I I didn't specifically notice it. But I think just the fact that he is there wearing the shirt, someone's always going to go, "Oh, who's that?" Like on James' shirt, they might not tell us that they've listened to us but they may have checked the band out you know and any exposure is good exposure i would have thought especially if it's coming from james hetfield <laughs> last question did he buy the shirt do you think or did he get the shirt for free <laughs> let's let's just say he bought the shirt okay i'm pretty i'm pretty sure he went on gallows uh big cartel and uh put an order in he, he can afford it i'm pretty sure right <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so like we were just talking about Orchestra of Wolves. It came out in 2006. It got picked up by Epitaph. So right there in the States, you're probably going to get a little bit more of a foothold when you're on a label like Epitaph. Is that kind of how the doors opened up for Warped and for like, you know, all the U.S. stuff that you guys ended up doing after that? Um, yeah, the, the Epitaph thing definitely helped big time with, with that. I know Brett, you know, really championed us on Warped Tour. And then not too long after, we went back to the States and we did a, an East Coast tour with Bad Religion. So obviously that's going to be a massive deal. The only thing about that is that for some reason, Epitaph put our like, re-release of Orchestra of Wolves out on the same day as Bad Religion's new record. <laughs> and that to me never made any sense. Like, why would you do that? Like Bad Religion is Epitaph's band, you know, like they are the band and they are Brett's band. So it kind of felt like, great, you're putting our record out, but could you at least given it kind of a little bit more of a spotlight rather than putting it out on the same day as like the main Epitaph band's <laughs> record. So I, I'm not, I'm not kind of, I'm not, um, what, what's the word? Being ungrateful. But <laughs> it was a little bit annoying for me. It just seems like one of those things of where like when you're doing your first DIY tours and you go to a new town and they have you headline over the local band that has the draw, 
right? It's like yeah. they so, should yeah. have you yeah. open up. So they should have put your record out at maybe a different time than the Bad Religion record. Yeah. Either like a week later, just yeah. not on the same day as Bad Religions. <laughs> Now, I do know that there was a little bit of a difference uh, in Orchestra of Wolves. It had a couple bonus tracks. I know that you guys did a cover of Nervous Breakdown by Black Flag. What was the thinking with that? Was it maybe to get some of those people in the UK and other places that already bought it to maybe buy this one like because it was special? Or was that just something that Brett wanted to do? Um, it was just a case of we knew we had to re-release the record. Um it first come out on this small independent label in the UK called In at the Deep End. Um, and then when we signed to Warner's over here and uh, Epitaph in the States, it, I think it was just part of the deal that they kind of wanted to repackage the whole thing with new artwork and put a couple of new tracks in. Um, so we did like two originals. We did the Black Flag cover, like you said, and we also did the Ruts cover with lethal bizzle staring at the rude boys yeah 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 that was like that was again that was when we kind of thought going into the studio to do those four tracks like we're kind of this is big now this is sort of becoming like a career for us like if you know the fact that this major label wants us to go in and record these extra songs for a, a release of a record and that was a that was a fun time that especially with like Bizzle being in the studio, never hearing any kind of rock or punk music before. And he he was loving it. It was such a it was it was weird but fun. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're gonna be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe Grind podcast. Wasn't, didn't that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, this isn't my notes or anything, but didn't that, that Ruts cover end up on a movie soundtrack or something? It did, yep. Um, it was on Yes Man. Oh, the, the Jim, Jim Carrey. Carrey film. Yeah. And it turns out that Jim Carrey had actually heard the track and wanted it in the film. I Whoa. think he was a Ruts fan. So... He'd heard the track and was like, yeah, let's let's put it in. It's, it's very, very quiet in a scene where there's like a bar fight going on. Obviously, <laughs> there's gallows and fighting go hand in hand. So. <laughs> Have you ever seen the footage of when Rollins did that like reunion thing with the Ruts and he sang the songs? No, and, I've never seen it. Uh, you should you should YouTube it. It's pretty awesome. I, my first experience, you know living in the Midwest, not knowing a lot about UK punk rock or anything was uh, Henry Rollins actually on one of his old radio shows talked a lot about those guys. And then 
I guess they invited him out. They did like some tribute thing or whatever. And he sang like an entire set of their songs. So I'm a big Ruts fan now, but I wasn't probably as long as you have. <laughs> I, I mean, to be honest, like I'm going to admit that I'm, fan, but I'm not a huge punk fan. <laughs> so I'd not heard that track before. And then a few days later, um, it actually came on the radio, like the original. And I was like, that is so weird that this track's come on the radio now. And it kind of, on the back of that song being released over here as well, I think the Ruts, like you say, they did kind of do a, a sort of reunion tour and, you know, it, it went down really well. And they were happy with the cover. That was the main thing for us, like as long as the band members respected the cover, even though we put some rapping in it, like <laughs> it's something a bit different. Well, you were just saying that maybe you're not a huge punk fan. So let's, uh, I have listener questions and I normally wait to the end of the time, but I will bring this up now. It makes perfect sense. Uh, Matt from Cleethorpes, United Kingdom. Am I saying that correctly? Do you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cleethorpes yep. in United Kingdom. Yeah, Cleethorpes is right. <laughs> uh, he wants to know what UK bands influenced you growing up to play drums or maybe what bands in general influenced you? Um, UK bands. If not, if not UK, maybe, maybe just, maybe just like any bands that you liked growing up too. I think growing up when I first, when I was getting serious with the drums, I was listening to a lot of Led Zeppelin. So John Bonham. Um, they're a UK band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're kind of, they're kind of small. <laughs> <laughs> kind of small. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Queen, Queen again, were, were one of my favorites growing up and they still are. Um, and then when I when it started getting heavier, I guess guys like Chris from Poison the Well. Yeah, and yeah. I listened to a lot of new metal, so like the, the dude from Seven Dust was always an influence on me because I thought he he's, he had a really sick style. His, his name's like Morgan but, something, right? Morgan, yeah, Morgan yeah, yeah. Rose, I think. His Morgan name Rose, was. yeah. Like, they're still going. He's and he's yeah, and um, but I think. I just had a, a load of different influences and they all sort of spliced together to create this weird punky metal rock drama. <laughs> so were, were the other guys in the band like big punk fans? Like how was it when you started doing warp tour and stuff like that? Like, were you a fan of no effects? Did you like Pennywise or was that kind of new to you coming from that other sort of background with drums? Um, no, th- th- those kind of bands, they weren't new to me. Uh, I was like, I, kn- I knew and no effects, bad religion, Pennywise, kind of the older bands like the addicts would play warp tour and stuff like that as well. So I, I knew all of those bands. I just never really chose to listen to them, I guess, over more metal stuff. Yeah. Um, but we, we all do listen to punk in the band. Like I think at the time, like, Warped all time, probably most of us were listening to more like noise rock stuff. Like we love these this band called J.R. Ewing from um Norway, like who since split up, like stuff like Das Oaf as well, and kind of just more like noisy, horrible, discordant punk rather than the kind of classic four four, you know, like rebellious punk, I guess I would call it. <laughs> Or fun punk, if you know effects. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a very wide range <laughs> of punk that I listen to from Fat Records, kind of more metallic 90s stuff back to 
kind of the discordant kind of stuff that you're talking about. And I always find it funny that like my podcast, I guess is considered a punk podcast because most of the artists are of that ilk and I'll always be talking to people and it's, it's fun to find out what kind of punk people are into, you know, <laughs> like, because it's such a broad term. Like I could say, I love Pennywise. I'm a punk rocker, but you know, there's some people that think Pennywise is like mall punk, you know, like there's so many different areas. So it's cool. And I mean, even some of that doom metal and some of that, the, you know, the underground metal stuff to me is punk. I think kill them all was a punk record. No, like totally. I agree with that. I think there's, there's a ton of bands who like obviously discharge really heavily influenced Metallica. And you would say discharge is a full on punk band. Same with the Ramones. Like, they're kind of probably now you would say, oh, yeah, they're like a, a mall punk band, as, as you said, like the Ramones. But, you know, at the time they, they they were doing something different. And so with Discharge, they were creating heavy songs, but with a punk ethic. Well, I know that you guys have done other covers throughout your career. The one that I love is uh, you guys did Wrathchild for that Iron Maiden tribute album. What was the process like to pick that? Because Iron Maiden has so many songs. I'm sure other bands had already picked songs. Were there any songs you guys wanted to do that it ended up being Wrathchild, but maybe you had other ideas when you were going to do that? Um, I, I think we always wanted to try and stay away from the more well-known stuff because then you're sort of on a hide into nothing if, you, if, if you're going to do The Trooper or Number of the Beast or something like that. Your people are gonna instantly think it needs to sound like the original because yeah. it's so well known. Yeah. Um, Rough Child. I mean, it's still a well known track, but it's a, it's an earlier Maiden song, and I think it was Lags who said we should do that, and I he said like I've got ideas for it already. You know, we can do it in a in a more gallows style, but still have the Maiden sort of licks in it, and um, that's one of the I think that the coolest things we've actually ever done was that was was the Rothschild cover and it just came together really quickly. I think me and Lags maybe rehearsed it three or four times and he recorded all the guitar parts and Frank came in and that was it. It's like super quick. <laughs> That's awesome. So I want to talk a little bit, you know, there's all these the legend of gallows on the internet when you're looking up anything about Grey Britain. You know, it's it's an amazing record. I know it did really well, critically acclaimed and everything, but you were talking earlier about thinking, wow, this could be a career. These things that are happening makes it seem like it's something bigger than what I thought was going to happen. There's this whole thing on the internet of, wow, you guys signed one of the biggest deals in the world with Warner Brothers, a million pounds to sign. Like, What was going through your head when all that was happening? Like, Were your parents stoked? I always want to ask what like pe people's parents <laughs> thought, you know? I think they were all kind of like us and were just thinking, you know, what the fuck is going on here? Like, but my son, like, my dad was probably thinking, yeah, my son, he's been playing drums since he was eight. I, like, he still remembers me as, you know, in, in my kitchen, like, not being able to count in time. And now he's he's literally about to sign this huge record deal. And I know they were they were proud and they were happy and, but they also, I think they also knew that that was it. Like this was heading off into a direction that none of us ever expected. And we were, uh, yeah, probably going to be on tour for another couple of years, solid at least. <laughs> they weren't going to see me very much, but it, that, that whole thing was just wild. Like I, th I think on the day we signed a record deal with um, Warner brothers, 
in the morning we were actually still technically going to sign with Sony Records. Um, they'd offered us a really good deal, and then um, like the, the the main guy at Warner Brothers came in and offered us this million pound deal. And at the time, I think it was probably the last ever million pound record deal, especially for a band of our yeah. kind. Like you might still get it now for bands that still sell a lot of records, but you know, they must have known that they were never ever gonna recoup any money from Gallows. Like <laughs> it was just a case of we've got them and you haven't, like a kind of bragging rights type of thing. And we were just like, you can have the bragging rights and we'll have the massive record deal. <laughs> I mean, w- <laughs> did you guys feel added pressure for something like that? I mean, I don't even know what kind of pressure you put on yourself anyway, but I, I'm a I'm a person where, you know, if I'm in a band and I get offered that kind of money, that kind of deal, I feel like it would maybe make you worry a little more about what you're writing, about what you're putting out. Did it do that for you guys at all? I've got to say it probably, it didn't at all. Um, we were, we, we wrote for a lot, lot longer for Great Britain. We, we had a lot of time to write. That's, that was the one big difference, obviously from the previous record. And we did want to make sure that everything we, we wrote, made sense and it wasn't just a jumble of ideas you know we we bought in garth richardson as producer who's done some massive amazing big records and we went into pre-production so we did all like the proper band shit yeah yeah. and uh and um but there wasn't really i didn't feel like at the time any of us felt there was any massive pressure to create a certain type of sound or have like three or four lead singles from the album that could be you know top 10 hits or whatever it was the record label actually always kind of agreed that we should stick to what we were good at and it just seemed like at that time as well the band was getting darker and darker in its in its themes and obviously Great Britain's not a very happy record and it's it's still more than relevant today for everything that's going on. Um, and I think that's why it's become kind of like a bit of a, a classic in that genre now a little bit, because it's still relevant and the songs still slap. They do, man. They, <laughs> to, put it, to put it, to put it nicely. <laughs> well, and I love the, I love the name of the record. I mean, it kind of conveys, you know, the way the music sounds, but also someone that's been to the great Britain many times, it's, it's normally fairly gray in great Britain. Yeah. Yeah. 95% of the time. <laughs> so I want to, I want to go a little bit further then into, you know, when I was hanging out with you guys, Frank was in the band. I told you my, the drummer for the Ataris at the time, Jake, he got a, I remember he got a tattoo on the bus, uh, at like the same time that, uh, the, the guy from Bayside, I can't remember his name. He was getting a tattoo. I just, I love the fact that Frank was tattooing people and it just felt like this big family. But, you know, in 2011, Frank leaves and you guys, you guys ended up getting, you know, our mutual buddy Wade from, from mm-hmm. Alexis on fire. How did that thing all go about? Like, I'm, we don't have to talk about Frank leaving. It's been talked about on the internet and everything, but to decide to continue on and then to get someone like Wade who, was in a huge band, but hadn't ever really done the lead singing for that band. Like, 
What was that process? And did you meet him on in 2009 when we were all on that same tour? Um, yeah, that was the first time we kind of really uh, got to know Wade. Um, Alexis were on the same stage as us, the Hurley stage, uh, apart from when they played in Canada. That's when they... <laughs> Headline the main stage. Then they were but, on our. Um, then they were on our stage in Canada. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, like, yeah. And we got to know him. We got to know the rest of the guys, and we got on really well. When we we kind of realised that Wade's pretty punk at heart. I, you wouldn't expect it maybe from the type of stuff that Alexis plays, but you know, Wade is very punk at heart, and um, you know, he he we knew he was a fan of the band and. Then obviously Frank leaves a couple of years after that warp tour, and I think at the time all of us were probably expecting the band not to carry on, and it was mainly due to the fact I think at the time that you know obviously Steph was in the band as well, Frank's brother, and we was like, well, if if Frank leaves, is, is Steph gonna leave as well? What's he want to do about it all? Because that's pretty awkward if if he carries on, it, and, but it was actually Steph who kind of instigated. That the band carry on and perhaps take some time and just try and find someone who would be a good fit. And as soon as we kind of realized that he wanted to carry on, the rest of us, we wanted to carry on as long as we found the right person. And, um, you know, we, we kicked around some ideas and then Steph actually said, Oh, I spoke to Wade like a couple of days ago and Alexis, uh, kind of going on hiatus, I think maybe a few months after. Um, they had some last shows to play, I think. And then we was like, well, should we approach him? You know, it's a big, big change, but it's something that could work because it's it's so different to what Frank was. You know, you've got, you're going from a, a scrawny, I hope you don't mind me saying that. <laughs> I'm only I'm only quoting enemy to <laughs> no, you, I mean you're going from like, yeah, Frank who's like wire wiry. 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 Wiry is better, wiry, yes. Wiry, yes. Wiry, wiry tattoo ginger guy screaming in your face to uh, a big Canadian hoosier who <laughs> sings in a uh emo core band. I'm sure you won't mind me saying emo core. Well I I love Dude, Alexis is great. Like, I have an Alexis tattoo right there on my hand, man. It's just, nice. I, I've always loved those guys. And when, I'll tell you, when you guys chose him or when you asked him to be in the band, it made total sense to me because the reason I like Alexis so much, you've got the guy that sings pretty. You've, you've got George, who's kind of like Henry Rollins. And then you've got Wade, who is like your resident punk guy. When all that stuff meshes together, you've got, Alexis on fire. So if you take one of those elements of wet away, you know, Dallas could sing in an R and B group, you know, I mean, they're, they're, it's everybody in that band has their own thing. So Wade to me made perfect sense. Did you guys catch any flack from anybody for the choice? Oh, probably half the internet. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was a time where I, I, I dreaded going on, our social media pages. It was, it was a nightmare. Like any time we posted anything, it was like, what the fuck's happened? Like, where's, where's Frank, RIP gallows, you know, like all the stuff you would expect people to write if, if their butt hurt that Frank's gone. And at the time it, I, I was taking a lot of it personally and you would do, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to sometimes with that stuff. I mean, even, on a smaller scale, this podcast, like when I'll have 
nine times out of 10, it's punk or hardcore or metal, but I've had a couple R and B guys. I've had a couple comedians and people don't understand. Like they're mad that this week on their favorite podcast, there's a comedian instead of a, a punk drummer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, I, I feel like as each year goes on and social media is so rampant now, people become more and more entitled and they have the capacity to just say, whatever they want over the internet and there's no consequences most of the time and i don't if they realize that it's upsetting to the person reading it i think they'd still do it and it's that to me is just it's just sums up kind of humanity at the moment like there's not a lot of there's not a lot of good people out there you know like (laughs) and i think it's only got worse since everything's happened with you know Trump being in charge of the states, you know, it just seemed like everything went to shit after that. Like, and I'm not just, I'm not blaming America or anything. Oh, no, Trump, no. But every, everything went to shit. Like, everyone wants to find something to complain about. And I had to, I mean, I, I ended up just, I don't check the Gallo socials anymore. I mean, they're probably not very uh, active anyway right now, but. <laughs> At the time, it was it was it was a little bit difficult to read some of the stuff that was saying because a lot of it was complete and utter shit, and it just made me wonder like who are these people who listen to my band who are so far off the mark about the stuff they're saying? But the people who really embraced Wade in Gallows, like they they super embraced it, like they were fully behind the band and Wade being the singer from from day one, and I still say to this day like it was the best choice we've we've made for the band he as soon as wade become involved he was super into wanting to rehearse the, the old songs write new songs he was he had foot he was full of ideas the fact that he could play guitar as well came in and like he had some song ideas like cross of lorraine is is, is a wade song and um yeah like i i don't think there's no regrets now but at the time it was difficult to accept that some of these people were pretty clueless about gallows and what, where we'd come from, who was in the band and where we were going to go with it. And I think also it kind of comes into play, maybe not those, you know, the mean ass stupid people on social media, but a lot of bands that have a certain amount of success and then they switch like a guitar player or a drummer, maybe nobody really cares, but there's not a lot of bands that switch a lead singer that continue Uh like, you know, Kill Switch Engage did it. Van Halen did it. There's there's not a lot of bands that do that, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think you guys did a great job. And I I mean, I listened to the entire catalog. I love the Frank stuff. I love the Wade stuff. With having someone in your band that lives on another continent, is there a lot of logistics that go into when you guys are playing shows or touring or writing? Like, how did that go? Um. Yeah, there's, it just makes things more difficult because um, Stu actually lives in California as well. So we've we've got two two people on on uh, in North America. But um, yeah, all we all we said when Wade joined the band was that if we're gonna tour, we have to make sure it's worthwhile for us. You know, like there's no point doing a, a tour where we're gonna lose money at the end of the day because we've been going for a few years already none of us want to go on a tour and sleep on floors anymore. We want to make sure that we come out of the tour. It's been fun. We've enjoyed it and we've not lost money because we were actually, you know, we were shitting a lot of money away during those, uh, 
Great Britain years, like just literally pissing money up the wall on stupid stuff. But because we had it, we thought it was fine to do it. And then like after a while, when you're down to your last pennies and you think, oh shit, maybe I shouldn't have taken that bus from London to uh, Cambridge, which is like a 45 minute drive, you know? (laughs) So you guys have been kind of, uh, you know, on a hiatus for a while. Um, I know that you played in a band called Funeral Shakes. Is that still going on at all, or is that on kind of a hiatus? I mean, everybody, everything's on a hiatus now, but <laughs> is, is Funeral Shakes still a thing that you're doing? Um, it's not, no. Um, I left that band oh, probably a couple of years ago. Um, and then I think after that, they only maybe did one or two more shows, and I, I, I'm not sure they're still going. Um Again, it that was it was cool. That was it was a, it was a nice sort of different thing to do for me. It was still in the punk rock sort of uh, spectrum, but nicer songs to play, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it's was, it was, it's kind of a shame that that didn't really work out. We we did some really fun shows with the Cancer Bats over here. That's probably the highlight of being in that band. But we released a record, and I think it, you you need to kind of latch on to people's attentions. With, if you're a new band, really quickly. And if you don't, you kind of run the risk of falling by the wayside. And I think that's kind of what happened with Funeral Shakes a little bit. So you guys, uh, the last show that you guys played, correct me if I'm wrong, you played the Slam Dunk Fest in 2019. You know, if not for the the coronavirus, were there big plans coming up? Or are you guys still just kind of doing stuff when you can like what is the future hold for the band um we was actually meant to do Reading and leeds festival uh last year along with um i think it was a couple of weeks in europe doing a couple of more festivals and some headline shows and we i mean we were all really psyched to, to do that the slam the slam dunk shows really sort of got us in the sort of game again we felt like those slam dunk shows were sort of a test to see whether gallows were still relevant for people these days. And they went really, really well. So it was like, well, yeah, we're definitely going to do more shows. You know, people, people loved the fact that we were kind of back and it was more of an event because we hadn't played for so long. Um, this year we're still down to do red and the leaves to rescheduled whether it happens or not, I don't know. They've just canceled Glastonbury over here. So wow. it's likely that other festivals will probably start following suit soon. So yeah, you're yeah, kind of at, at the mercy of a pandemic at the moment, <laughs> like everyone else in the world. <laughs> well, is like, you know, lag sending you song ideas or Wade or I mean, do you guys plan on maybe doing another record at some point? I, I think if we had more of an idea of, what was going to happen in the future in terms of, you know, like the world becoming sort of normal again, we would start kicking around ideas. But I know Lags and Wade both and Stu actually, they all had ideas that they were talking about, but none of them were ever like emailed across or no one ever said, I'll oh, take a listen to this. And I, I just think it's because no one wants to get into writing music or recording new songs when we don't really know what the future holds for anyone. Yeah. Um, it's a shame that, because I think last year when we were down to do Red and Leeds, we were going to have some new stuff to back it up. Um, but then everything went to shit with COVID and now we're sort of like just a, a stalemate, I guess. 
I'm, I'm going to speak to Legs again and see, you know, what's going on. If, if, because it would be, I think we do want to write new stuff. Like we have talked about doing it, and we would, we do want to do it. It's just finding the right time. I yeah. think more than anything. So I do have a couple other listener questions. I've had you on the line for a while, but let me let me ask you these really quick. So we went through Matt's question. Uh, Simon from Liverpool, United Kingdom. He says, do you remember the moment that you were asked to support Rage Against the Machine and how did it feel? <laughs> uh, surreal. Really, really surreal. As soon as it, it was, it was actually weird because do you know the whole story behind the Rage thing? Like where they got the Christmas number one over here? No, no, I don't know. I mean, I tell me the whole thing, man. <laughs> so they had a, it was, I guess like a, a an online campaign to get killing in the name to Christmas number one over here instead of the Mariah Carey. There's this show, it's, well, it's <laughs> actually there's this show called the X factor over here. And that the person who won the X factor always had the Christmas number one. Oh, okay. And it was becoming ridiculous. It's like basically just lying in Simon Cowell's pockets every year at Christmas. And uh, so there's this internet campaign to get uh, Rage to number one, and it actually works. Rage got to number one, and they said, if we play, if, if we get to number one, we will play a free show at Finsbury Park in London to celebrate the fact that, you know, real music has triumphed over X Factor game show music. <laughs> so as soon as they said we're going to play a free show, I was like, there's a chance we might get on that because we knew they liked Gallows. Yeah. And we'd played a show with them in Italy already. And I was like, it just makes sense. Like Gallows in London with Rage. But even when the call come in to say that we'd been asked to do it, I was still like, fucking hell, that's insane. <laughs> and the show, the show was insane. It was like 40,000 people. Wow. And yeah, like something, I, that was one of the only times I've ever been, shitting myself before we went on stage i was really nervous that day <laughs> that's that's awesome man did you like you've met those guys hung out with them or are they pretty good guys yeah they're super cool um we were lucky enough we did a, a couple of other shows with them uh straight after we did a they played in dublin in an arena there and they take out a, a ping pong table on tour with them and after the show there they invited the uh, it was us and Gogol Bordello supporting and they invited us all back and we were like having some drinks and I actually played ping pong against Zach De La Rocha. <laughs> another, another, another life highlight for me was getting my ass handed to me by Zach De La Rocha <laughs> at table tennis. Those guys just seem super, super nice. Like I've had, uh, I had the, the anti-flag guys on, they were talking about Tom Morello and everything. Like I just, that's on my bucket list. I've met a lot of people, but rage, I would like to hang out and get my ass handed to me and ping pong by Zach. That'd be awesome. I, it was honestly like, <laughs> even thinking back now, it's so surreal. Like I was so busy. I really wanted to win. That was the other thing. I was like, I don't want him to show me up. I don't want him to like thrash me, but I was so kind of starstruck by the fact I was playing with him. Like he, he absolutely annihilated me. It was pretty funny in the end. Well, I want, I want to, I've got another question, but I just thought of something, you know, being friends with you on Facebook over the years, I've noticed that, uh, you like to collect pictures with famous people. <laughs> yeah. Can you take me over? I mean, is that like, are you going to premieres in London? Like how are, cause you have pictures with like 
insane people like actors and and it's it's mm-hmm. crazy man take me through how that works out oh god that started when i came back from uh living in america i moved back to england and um i met this guy paul who's like a good friend of mine now and he basically would go to the, those comic convention things which i'd never been to before even though i was like super into comics and tv shows and stuff I went with him to one of those one year and then he was like, oh, I go to these movie premieres in London every now and then. Like, I do really well. Like, I meet some really famous people. It's like, do you want to come along and, you know, just hang out for the day? It was more just a going along and socializing thing, but then it become kind of addictive. And <laughs> meeting these famous people, having a laugh with a friend during the day. And then it, become to the, it got to the point where, you know, I was going to Canada to TIFF the Toronto Film Festival um, to watch a bunch of movies, but also to meet like all the people who <laughs> would go there. And it, it become a hobby that was a bit, it's kind of addictive. And I know people think it's kind of strange, especially because <laughs> I'm in a band that some people think are really well, is, is really well known. But for me, I never thought that I was just like, well, I really like this actor or this actress. And I think it's cool that I've met them. And that's just went from there. <laughs> Do you have uh, a list of people you still want to meet, like a bucket list people, or do you even take it that far? Um, I've got a couple of people I still want to meet. Uh, Chris, Christian Bale okay. definitely is is on the list because I'm a huge Batman fan, and to me, he's kind of like the Batman. Did you hear that my Batman is coming back from my childhood, though? Michael Keaton Michael is going to be the new one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be... I don't know how they're going to do that because it's going to be like three different Batmans in the same film, isn't there? So yeah, I don't understand. I love Christian Bale. Don't get me wrong, but like I'm, I'm 42 now. So like when I was growing up, my Batman was Michael Keaton, and I, I've loved all the other guys. But when I heard that news, I got really excited. <laughs> yeah, no, that's gonna, it's gonna be cool. Like, I'm excited to see what they do with those films in the future. Um, I'm a bit of a, a comic book nerd, I guess. <laughs> Um, yeah, I like Christian Bale, and obviously the one for me. Unfortunately, I never get to see him now, but would have been David Bowie. Oh yeah, he was he was my hero in any kind of art form, like movie music. He 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 was the one guy I've I've had him since like I was you know knee high. Listen to his music, and I just always thought he was a just ahead of his time in literally everything. You know the in like he practically predicted social media like years before it become a thing, you know, like it's crazy. Yeah. But obviously sadly he's, he's not here anymore. Are, are you a nine inch nails fan at all? Um, yeah, I like nine inch nails. Well, uh, that podcast, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called song exploder, but they have now a show on Netflix where they, they kind of dissect songs. There's one about R.E.M. and there's one on all these different songs. But the Trent Reznor episode where they're breaking down Hurt, he actually, there's this whole part where he talks about meeting Bowie and Bowie asked if he could perform it with him at this festival. And like, if you haven't seen it, you need to check that out, man. It's really cool. Yeah, no, I definitely will check it. It's on Netflix now. Yeah, it's called Song Exploder. And just go to the Nine Inch Nails episode. And it's half okay. half of it's about Bowie. So. <laughs> It's really I'm good. T- I'm definitely going to watch that. I will definitely watch it. Okay. So, uh, and, and before I get to this last listener question, out of all those people you've met at the premieres and whatnot, 
you don't have to name any names, but have some of them been not so nice to me? Um, the biggest dick I've met is, uh, do you know Thomas Jane, who played the Punisher? Yes. Uh, he was, he's been in quite a lot of stuff. Um, I actually paid to meet him at one of those comic conventions. You know, like you obviously pay 25 bucks away yeah. and you get the autograph or a picture. They've got the pipe and drape up and you take a picture with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like they're kind of really ugly looking like blue background. Yeah. But, um, he was just a dick. He turned up late. He turned up with a toothbrush in his mouth. Like he was still brushing his teeth. He looked like he hadn't brushed his hair. He was definitely still half asleep or just stoned. I don't know. And like, he just didn't want to be there and he didn't want to stand next to people considering, you know, you're paying to get your picture done with him. Yeah. He just, and I was just like, nah, like at least, pretend to be interested in it even if you're not like there's people here who've paid money to see you but i don't think i've really met too many dicks when it comes to the actors and actresses they've they're all friendly enough if you say i like this film you're in or is it cool if i get a picture most of the time they'll say yes so i mean they have to kind of think they're going to go to a premiere there's going to be people on the rope or whatever like that's kind of part of the job, right? <laughs> yeah, that's it's all promotion, you know. Like if if they if they was to turn around and say no, I'm I'm not doing this. Like that's kind of yeah, they're just causing shit for no reason. Just do your job. Like say say hello to your fans and then go inside and watch your film. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've got one more question, Freddie from Boston, Massachusetts. He wanted to know what it was like working with Garth Richardson on Grey Britain. Uh, stressful. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> uh, it was an up and down experience for me. Let's just say that um, some good times, some bad times. The worst thing for me was that I would be doing a drum take, and bearing in mind I was recording to tape, we weren't doing it digitally. So every fuck up I made cost us like two hundred quid. <laughs> if I was if so. He would come in during a take and I would go to hit a drum or a cymbal. He would literally put his hand on it so I didn't hit it. And I was getting so frustrated by the end of it. And I would, I nearly like fucking like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? And like I mentioned earlier as well, we did a bunch of pre-production for that album. All the stuff we did in pre-production went out the window as soon as the first day of recording happened. Like the drum parts I had written or figured out, they were like, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. No, you can't do that. That's that's too much. Like, the song doesn't need that. So it kind of became, for me, like a little bit of a dumbing down my drums experience. But looking back, it worked for the album so well. But at the time, I was like, you're fucking like, like my creativity is like, where is it? Like, I just want to be doing some cool stuff on the drums, not like just playing a boring 4-4 beat, but that's that's the way it was back then i guess i was a little bit more playing for myself rather than the band <laughs> do, do you think that his approach because i've talked to a couple other people that have worked with him do you think that his approach or just that approach in general for producers do you think he's trying to get a performance out of you by maybe making you uncomfortable or making you a little bit angry do you think that's part of it i i think so like there's a couple of times where i was just like for fuck's sake like, i just i just want to get this done and I was hitting as hard as I possibly could and as fast as I possibly could. 
just to get the take done. And more often than not, those times are the takes that they use because there was just the anger was there. So in that it that way it worked. But you know, generally the recording experience with him was was great. Like he he's he's a really nice guy. He loves his Crown Royal. You know, he he'd be on Skype with his wife every day in the studio. Well, like we had a guy Ben who was engineering was doing a lot of the work, but Garth always had his ear and he he knew what sounded good and what did not sound good. And at the end of the day, he produced the first Rage Against the Machine record and that was always the benchmark for us. You know, like this guy knows what he's doing if he's done that. Yeah. And so we listened to what he said. So uh, how often do you and the other guys in the band, like do you guys have Zoom meetings? Do you hang out? Do you talk? Like, or is it all just everybody's doing their own thing right now? everybody's pretty much doing their own thing. Um, Stu's in California, Wade's in Canada. <laughs> there were, uh, like, Lags lives close to me. He's only 15 minutes away. But I, when, we're not, like, super close-knit band. Like, we all know that we all have everything going. Like, all of us have different stuff going on, whether it be day-to-day work or, or what, you know, like. But when we get back, to co- get back together to rehearse or, or write or whatever it might be the sort of the feeling comes back again very quickly and I think myself Lags and Stu have all played together for so many years now like what 15 years Gallows has been a band that you don't ever kind of lose that I guess flexibility of playing with each other yeah. you know it comes back very quickly it's kind of muscle memory when you have like chemistry yeah. with people right yeah, yeah, like the chemistry's always there and you're always on the same sort of wavelength when it comes to if you're writing a song, like, oh, that would sound good there. And like, everyone's always very open in Gallows when it comes to people having ideas. No one's ever sort of taken charge of being like, oh, no, this doesn't sound good or like, I'm going to do this. So, but yeah, in terms of actually really talking outside of when we're being a band, we talk, but, you know, not crazy amounts we lived in each other's pockets for long enough so yeah. <laughs> that was always the thing at the end of a tour like uh my mom would always go well are you guys gonna hang out i'm like i just was in you know a van bus rv car whatever we were in for months inside these guys like cuddling pretty much you know being a part of each other's <laughs> lives when i got home from tour i didn't want to talk to them for at least a couple weeks right yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think every person in a band knows that feeling as well. Like at the end of a tour, you just want to go home, lay in your own bed, not really talk to anyone, especially not people in your band. <laughs> well, I tell you, man, I've had a blast talking to you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. If you guys Thanks do, for me. you know, when the COVID thing is over, hopefully, fingers crossed, it is and you guys have some new stuff, please come back and talk to us again. But uh, do you know the socials or any way people can check you guys out online? Um, I'm pretty sure Twitter is just Gallo's official. So is Instagram. I'm not sure about Facebook, but, you know, we're not super active at the moment anyway. I would just say go on Spotify, listen to the band if you've not checked us out, go and buy a record if you still do that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's there's some vinyl out there that's really hard to find, so um, good luck with that. But um, yeah, just 
listen to Gallows. Listen, listen to Wade era Gallows because not many people will give it as, as big a chance. I mean, it it is it is different, but man, it's it's powerful. Like that that's the thing. Like when I listen to you know the older stuff, I love it. But when I listen to stuff with Wade, it's got this grit to it. I don't know what it is, but it's it's really cool. So I agree. People should check out both. Right. <laughs> Both. Both, but if you had to choose one, Wade. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Well, Lee, I appreciate it. And uh, like I said, in the future, please let me know about what you have going on. We'll have you back on the show. And uh, put a good word in for Wade. I want to have Wade on the show. I'm talking to his publicist, but they haven't agreed yet. So uh, shoot him a text. (laughs) I will. I will. Awesome, man. Well, I will talk to you very soon. And uh, stay safe. Wash your hands. And I'll talk to you later. (laughs) (laughs) See you later, dude. Peace, man. Thanks. So there it was, my conversation with my dude, Lee Barrett from Gallows. I had a great time catching up with Lee, and hopefully we will be getting some of that new Gallows material in the future. Uh, And if we do, I'll make sure to get Lee back on the program to tell us all about it. So that is it for this week. I appreciate all of you spending time with me. Uh, I just, I get so many really cool emails and just messages and voicemails every week. And uh, you guys are really enjoying the show. And it, it means the world to me that you take time out of your life to spend with me. So thank you very much for that. Once again, shout out to all of my, my listeners in Texas. I hope you guys are doing well. I'd like to know how you're doing. You can call the hotline. It is area code 765 765- 372-8818. Let me know what it's like in your neighborhood. Let me know if you still don't have power. I want to know how you're doing down there in Texas. So follow us on the socials at TOTOT Podcast. Check out my new band Fire Sale. I've been selling it to you guys the whole episode. Uh, follow us on the socials at Fire Sale is a band. If you need to get in touch with me, you want to sponsor an episode, you just want to chat, you want to do a tell me a guest suggestion, whatever, super easy to get in touch with me. TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com. I get back to everybody. Hit me up and we'll chat. Make sure to check out our website, TOTOTpodcast.com. Grab some merch while you're there. It's the best way to support the show. Sign up for the Discord server. There's so much stuff. If you like this podcast, you can immerse yourself in the TOTOT universe. There are so many different ways. So before I jump out of here, I'm going to play some music like I always do. I'm going to play one of my favorite Gallows tracks. It is called Cross of Lorraine. Uh, This is one of the songs that Lee was talking about that was co-written by Wade when he took over vocals and joined the band. It's it's such a good song, and uh, there's an awesome video for it as well. Just uh, go to YouTube and search Gallows Cross of Lorraine. So make sure to tune in next week when my guest will be artist Mr. Mark DeSalvo. Uh, Mark probably did artwork for one of your favorite albums. He's worked with No Effects, Pulley, The Bomb Pops, and so many other bands. He had such like amazingly funny, great stories, and it was really cool to chat with him about all things art and music. He kind of comes from a different angle on the whole punk rock thing, and it, w- it was a lot of fun to get to know him and and pick his brain about art and everything. So come back next week for that. Um. If you follow us on the socials, 
you probably saw that I just recorded an episode with Mr. Fat Mike himself from No Effects and Fat Records. It was so much fun, and uh, I want to post it right now. Like, I wanted to post it after I did it. Like, the second I got done doing it, I wanted to post it. But I have to be strong. I have a pretty thought out, methodical system for how these episodes come out. And uh, everything's written down. It's it's like a, a like just I don't know. I'm kind of anal about everything. Like I have a way that I do it, and uh, I just I have to wait. Uh, it, it's going to be worth it though. Don't worry. It's worth it. It will be out in a few weeks. But uh, yeah, I, I have to be strong. I want to share it with you right now because it's such a fun, awesome episode. But I can't do it, so I got to wait. So stay tuned. It will be out in a couple weeks. And uh, you guys are going to love it. Mike was was so nice and so gracious with his time. We had a blast. It was it was awesome. Uh, I want you to make sure you check out the new No Effects record, single album, dropping tomorrow, February 26th. It's such a great record. I've been listening to it for like a month or two, ever since Vanessa sent it to me, you know, to prepare for the Mike episode. I can't get enough of it. It's amazing. You're going to love it. Mike is one of my favorite songwriters of all time, and this record does not disappoint. Like, he went for everything. There's a reggae track on there, like the classic, you know, no effects records that would have a reggae track. There's fast, aggressive stuff. There's, it's just, it's so good. You're going to love it. So, check it out. It comes out tomorrow, February 26th on Fat Records. And in a few weeks, you can hear Mike on this program. So, now I'm out for, for real. I'm not going to talk anymore. I love you guys, though. Thank you so much. Enjoy Cross of Lorraine by Gallows. Show Gallows some love. Go check out their socials and everything. Wash your hands. Wear your masks. Be kind to one another. I will see you next week. As always, this is Chris. Peace. Then I'd be dead Was I not at the hospital?
Hey, this is Lars Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propagandy. Hi, this is Rory from No Use for Name. Hi, this is Ben Gillies from Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, We've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.